We're going to read from the scriptures now. We're turning tonight to the book of Daniel. And for those who are visiting with us, we're really lovely to see you. And we're delighted to have you. And um, we appreciate that you're coming from uh, the Gospel Hall or the Orange Hall in the spa. And we appreciate that. We just commenced last week uh, a series of expository messages in the book of Daniel, so uh, that's what we're going to be dealing with tonight. So let's read together again from Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, we're going to read from verse 1. Follow with me. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king, was Nebuchadnezzar, spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel, and of the king's seed, and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well favoured and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshech, and to Azariah Abednego. But Daniel proposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall ye make me endanger my head to the king. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat. And as thou seest, deal with thy servants. 
So he consented to them in this matter and proved them ten days. And at the end of ten days, their countenance appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. We'll end the reading there at verse 16. And we pray God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now this evening, I am continuing this series of expository sermons on the book of Daniel. And my text tonight is really found in Daniel chapter 1 and in the verse 8. But Daniel proposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now for those of you who were here last Lord's Day evening, I set before you what I called an introduction to the book of Daniel. We look particularly at Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. And I set before you what I said was the authenticity of Daniel the prophet. See, many have questioned if Daniel was a real, true historical figure. Was he a real, true human being who lived in real time? And the answer to that question is an absolute yes. There's 73 references to the book of Daniel in the Bible. 65 of those references are in the book that bears his name. Uh, two of the references, or two of the eight outside the book of Daniel, are found in the New Testament. Matthew 24, verse 15, and Mark chapter 13, verse 14. And last week I pointed out to you that the Lord Jesus mentioned the man called Daniel the prophet. The Lord Jesus testified about Daniel the prophet. The Lord Jesus believed in the life and times of Daniel the prophet. And this alone helps to counter the lie of the liberal and the modernist because they teach that Daniel was an imaginary figure invented by the Jews to tell a story but not a real character. And here's the Lord Jesus, many hundreds of years after Daniel lived and had died, and he talks about Daniel the prophet. And he not only endorsed Daniel the man, but he endorsed Daniel's ministry. Daniel exercised a real ministry. He was a prophet of God. And he spoke, as the Lord Jesus said, about the abomination of desolation. And the Lord Jesus, I believe, in using that quotation, was endorsing Daniel's ministry. You see, again, the liberals and the modernists claim that the book of Daniel wasn't written by the book of Daniel. That it was written by another character. And Daniel is just a fictional character invented by whoever the author was. But the Lord Jesus told us, Daniel spoke about the abomination of desolation. He says, let him that readeth understandeth. And he was pointing us back to the book of Daniel to read for ourselves and to gain insight and an understanding. And the Lord Jesus not only endorsed the man and his ministry, but he endorsed the message. The Lord Jesus set a seal, I believe, on the book of Daniel. 
on the man and his ministry. Daniel was a prophet to be heard. Daniel was a prophet to be read, to, 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 to be studied, to, to, to be believed and understood. The second thing we talked about last week was the appearance of Daniel in Babylon. When are we introduced to Daniel? In the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah. This is the first time that Daniel appears on the scene. A reference to real time in the third year of his reign. And in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar and besieged Jerusalem. And he conquered the city. It was about 605, 606 BC. And after the siege and the conquering of the city, Jehoiakim surrendered, became a vassal king. And he gave King Nebuchadnezzar part of the treasures of the Lord's house. And he also gave him the princes or the young princes of Judah. And you can read about that there in 2 Kings chapter 23. Uh, verses 36 to the end and 2 Kings 24 uh, right through verses 1 to 9. Jehoiakim was 25 when he came to the throne. He was a very wicked king. He was placed there by Pharaoh and it was after the fall of Pharaoh in Egypt by Nebuchadnezzar that Nebuchadnezzar came on up in that period and conquered um, not only Egypt but conquered the land of Israel and Jehoiakim became a puppet king and um, if you want more information, then I would encourage you to listen on the uh, website. When we introduced to Daniel, where we introduced to Daniel, you know, the first appearance that Daniel makes is in Babylon. You notice what it says there in verse 2. It says, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. Do, do you know that um, Shinar is an ancient name for Babylon. Do, do you know that the history of Babylon goes all the way back to a man called Nimrod, who was a mighty hunter before the Lord? The name Nimrod was associated with bloodshed, adultery, wickedness, and violence, defiance, and rebellion. A man who was out to make a name for himself, a, a, a man who was of the most wicked kind, a man whose hands are full of blood and violence. That man, Nimrod, he was the first king of Babylon, or the first king of Shinar, a man who had sinned against God with an open hand, a man who was a mighty hunter of souls before the face of the God of heaven, a man who lived for the devil, a man who sinned with an open hand before the very face of his God. And you can read about that. In Genesis chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, Genesis 11 and 2, Genesis 14 and 1, Genesis 14 and 9. The beginning of the, the, uh, his kingdom was Babel or, or Babel. Uh, it's got the same root. It's from the etymology of the word which eventually emerged into Babylon. The beginning of the kingdom was Babel. And it was in the land of Shinar. A land of the rabble, a place of iniquity, a name that's proverbial with sin and wickedness and rebellion. That's where he was. Why was he there? Because the people of Judah had sinned. King Jehoiakim had sinned. 
They deserved the chastisement and the punishment of God. Daniel was a godly young man. He walked with the Lord. Daniel was not guilty of idolatry or immorality or iniquity. I'm not saying he wasn't a sinner, but he wasn't associated with the vice and the violence in the land of his day. He wasn't there because of any fault of his own. And I know that these were puzzling times for Daniel. It made no sense to him to be there. He was probably perplexed, taken from his family, a victim of circumstances. And yet in that context, in that place, Daniel learned to trust in the Lord. He accepted that he was not out of the will of God, but he was exactly where the Lord wanted him. And he was there to live for God and to serve him. And that brought us on to our third point, which was the acceptance of Daniel in Babylon. He accepted that God was in control, that God was on the throne, that God knew best and knew what he was doing. And Daniel had to trust him and live for him in Babylon. There's no hint of complaint in this book. Daniel, of course, has seen the hand of God in his life. He is content with God's lot for him, he learns to trust him. He, he weeps, I have no doubt about that, by the rivers of Babylon, uh, ere we sat down and wept. Uh, I have no doubt that he confessed sin. Read Daniel chapter 9. Uh, and yet, in all the while, against that backcloth, he knows that God is in absolute control, that God's in charge, that God is absolutely sovereign. Remember Paul says, I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. How could you be content in an ungodly world? How could you be content being placed in a set of wicked, vile circumstances? And here's the answer. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. See, Daniel learned in whatsoever state he was to be content because he was trusting in the Lord and he was strengthened by him. Daniel faced many challenges. This was a day of uncertainty, a day of change. Remember, he's only 16 or 17 years of age. This was a day of social upheaval for Daniel, a day of moral decline, a day of family breakdown, a day of deep discontentment. But it was a day when Daniel recognized God's will and the need of God's help and God's provision for him. And a day when Daniel lived... Remember, he's in Babylon. He's among an ungodly people. And are we not living tonight in wicked times? Social upheaval, moral decline, family breakdown, a day of change and uncertainty and challenge, a day of deep discontentment. And, and how are we going to live? And how are we going to serve God? So I, I asked the question tonight, how did Daniel not only survive in this context, but how did Daniel thrive in such an ungodly place? How to live for God in an ungodly world? Well, let me suggest three things tonight to answer that question. I want you to think of this. The peril that Daniel faced. Look with me at verse 8. It says, but Daniel. The word but, the buts of the Bible are important. The word but is like a hinge. And of course, it invites us back then to verses 3 through to 7 in particular. And when you read Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 through to 7, you learn something about the purpose of King Nebuchadnezzar in bringing these princely young men out of Judah from the royal court into his court. And what was his purpose for them? Well, if you look at verse 4, it says at the end, whom they might teach. 
the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. Daniel's three friends and himself were to learn a new way of life in Babylon. They were to learn the ways of the Babylonians. What did that involve? Learning the language. Is Babylon not a picture of the world? Nebuchadnezzar's purpose for them was to learn the language of the world. This, of course, was a very distressing sign, an indication of the type of life that was being planned for these young people. So they had brought them to Babylon to teach them the Babylonian language, to teach them a Babylonian lifestyle. And notice it was over a three-year period. If you look at verse 5, it says, And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. See, I want to suggest tonight that this was all about changing their identity so that these young men would become proficient in the ways of Babylon. And they were given the very best education. And it was so attractive and so appealing to them. And I'm suggesting tonight this really was a process of indoctrination. And this was a dangerous time for these young men. A dangerous time for Daniel. And here's the peril that he faced. They were put into Babylon to learn a new way of life, to learn its language and learn its lifestyle. And I want to say tonight, the King Nebuchadnezzar was asking these young people to adopt their thinking, the philosophy, the agenda, and the words of a pagan world. And I want to tell you tonight, the devil's purpose and plan for you hasn't changed. And I want to tell you tonight that the world itself hasn't changed. And the aim of the world is to get the young people to adopt the thinking, the philosophy, the agenda, and the words of a pagan world. See, the devil is out to gain the minds and get the hearts of the young people. I was thinking of past battles. Battles with resurgent Romanism. Of course, that battle ranges on. Battle with the ecumenical movement, and it rages on. Battle with the charismatic movement and all its confusion. Battle with the liberals and the modernists and all their liberal theology when they doubt the existence of God and the Bible and Jesus Christ, his person and work and heaven and hell and the doctrine of, of, of salvation. But listen to me, parent. There's new battles raging against our young people. We're told now that this is an age of enlightenment, an age of science. This is an age when humanism has come to the fore. And and this is an age of paganism and, and hedonism, an age of secularization. Many people, of course, don't believe today that God created the heavens and the earth in the space of six 24-hour days. Why? Because they believe in evolution. That this is an age of technology. You think of the explosion of technology 
And whether it's Facebook or, or, or Twitter or, 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 or whatever else is there, I, I'm not suggesting that that's evil in itself. It can be used for evil and has been used for evil because it's been used to spread abroad what the thinking, the philosophy, the words, the agenda of a pagan world. And it's all about learning the language. It was not only learning a language, but it was learning a lifestyle. Look with me at Daniel chapter 1 verse 7. It says, Unto whom the princes of the eunuchs gave names, for gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah, Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now, if I was talking to the young people and say, we're talking about Daniel and his three friends, give me the name of Daniel's three friends, do you know what I would get? I would get Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or shake the bed, make the bed, and into bed you go, because that's the way we were learned and taught to remember it. But very few, and I, I mean this, would mention Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Because, you see, those were the names that were given to them by their parents when they were born. Do you know that Daniel, young people, means... The Lord is my judge. Hananiah means the grace of God or the Lord is gracious. Mishael means the Lord is my strength or the Lord is strong. Azariah has to do with the Lord is my helper or my helper. So these were the names when they were born. And they carried those names with them into Babylon. And those very names carried with them a message about God and the things of God. So, so you think of their names when they were born. They're carrying a message about the truth of the all-wise, living in the true God. They were bearing a message that had to do with a revelation of God's truth. A, a message about the Lord. And here they're brought into Babylon. And what's the first thing that, they're, that happens to them? They have to adopt a new lifestyle because they're given now these new names. So I, I reinforce it's a process of indoctrination. The language of Babylon. Now, new names. Daniel was given the name of Belteshazzar. Do you know what that means? A keeper of hidden treasure. It had to do with the Babylonian god, Bel, who was the keeper of the treading treasure. Shadrach had to do with the, the sun god, because the Babylonians worshipped the sun. Meshach had to do with the goddess Venus. Abednego had to do with the fiery serpent. See, the names are all changed. Do you get the picture from the names of Jehovah? Names that spoke about a, a revelation of truth from God. And now their names are changed to the names of the Babylonian gods. It's all about teaching them the culture of Babylon. And isn't that what the world wants to do? It wants to reverse the child of God from bearing testimony to a true revelation of God because the world doesn't want anything that's going to remind them about the Lord. You think of what's happening today in the education world. When I went to school, it was a long time ago, some of you were probably at school, same time as me, we were taught the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, we were taught the Beatitudes, 
Now those things are marked by their absence. Now they're teaching things in school to do with transgenderism. They're teaching primary school children about an alternative acceptive lifestyle. You see, the world says that adultery is okay. The world says that fornication, premarital sex outside of marriage is okay. The the world says drug addiction and drunkenness is okay. And even theft under certain circumstances. And, well, murder could be okay too. Jealousy. You see, the Christian church, I got a thing today or yesterday from the Christian Institute. It had to do with being on the wrong side of history. And this is a letter that has come in to the Christian Institute accusing them of being on the wrong side of history. You see, paganism's at the back of this. Let's remove any trace of God. Let's remove the truth about God. let's, Let's remove the name. And, of course, you see, that's why we in the Charity Commission um, for the Presbytery were so insistent to the Charity Commission that we wouldn't want to accept the uh, fact that we're running a charity because we're not. We're, we're running a church because it was removing the name church from the documentation uh, and we were having none of it. See, it's a process of indoctrination. Paganism is out to destroy and attack and change the work of God. Notice also it's a, it's a process of intoleration. If you go back to verse 5, look with me very carefully. Here's the peril that he faced. Twofold, and the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank. Let's just pause there. The king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat. Come down to verse 10. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink. What does that mean? It means that nothing else is going to be tolerated. Nebuchadnezzar is an absolute monarch is saying, you'll do what I tell you. You'll eat my meat. You'll drink my wine. Can I tell you tonight that paganism is not tolerant of true Bible-believing Christianity? Do you know that true Bible-believing Christianity believes in religious freedom for all? You've never heard a sermon in the Free Presbyterian Church to go around Northern Ireland and pull down idols. You've never heard a message to go and burn down Roman Catholic chapels. You've never heard a sermon that introduced and threatened violence against any other religious body. Why? Because we believe in true religious freedom for all. There's to be no confrontation with the gun or with the sword. And that's why the Roman Catholic Inquisition of the 15th, 16th century was true, so, so wrong. And that's why the murder today of, of um, people in Africa or, or in other parts of the world by persecution and by sword is so wrong. But you know, paganism won't tolerate freedom for all. They don't believe in real freedom, whether it's Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism. You even study tonight the life of Nebuchadnezzar when we come into chapter 3. You'll see that he only allowed for one person to be worshipped and praised and prayed to. And that was himself. And was that not a freedom to, a a, a threat to one's freedom and religious way of life? You see, I'm convinced today that the same procedure is happening before our eyes. There's an attempt today to indoctrinate the children. 
There's an attempt today to have this process of intolerant to everything that's Christian and everything that's God-like and everything that's glorifying to the Lord. And, and, And there's an attempt to impose the culture of the world, its language, its lifestyle, and its mindset to bring about the destruction and the destabilization of the Christian and his life for God. Babylon was always a type of the world. Human religion, human culture, wickedness and idolatry all bound up. The peril that he faced. Notice quickly the proposal that he made. If you go back to our text, it says, but Daniel proposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat. Here was a single-minded proposal. Daniel decided that he was going to stand for God. And young people, that's what I want you to do. I want you to make a decision, a single-minded decision. As a young person, 16, 17, 18 or older, I'm going to stand for God. Do you know in the Battle of Waterloo, the Duke of Wellington was fighting Napoleon. There was great losses. There was heavily casualties on both sides. Men were sent from the front line to the Duke, the Uh, appealed to him for help. They said, look, we need reinforcements. The Duke was in no position to do so. Uh, Men in the front line, uh, the front line was long, the troops were sparse, and he he told everyone that come to him from different parts of the front line, have one message, send it to the officers. Tell them to stand. And you see, we were singing Stand up, stand up for Jesus. And Daniel made a decision in his heart and mind that he was going to stand for God in Babylon. That he was going to stand up for what is right. And he was doing it from the start when he went there. He's only 16 or 17 years of age. Remember, he's a teenager. And here he is taking a stand for God. Young people, I'm glad to see you tonight. We thank you for coming. We, We love you in the Lord's name. We Appreciate you very much. We have you in our hearts. You're the object of our prayers. And here's an example for you. You, like Daniel, as a young person who knows and loves the Lord, make a decision that you're going to stand for God in your environment. Remember, he's in Babylon, a pagan world, an ungodly environment. Maybe your school's an ungodly environment. Maybe your university's an ungodly environment. Maybe your workplace is an ungodly environment. And in that place, there's language that would turn the air blue. There's cursing. Do you know, young people, when you go to work, you'll be encouraged, you'll listen to cursing. You'll be encouraged to take part in dirty jokes. You'll be encouraged to smoke. You'll be encouraged to drink. You'll be encouraged to gamble. Look at things that you shouldn't be looking at. You have to make a decision. Nail your colors to the mast in school, university, in the workplace at the start. That's what I did. And remember Paul said to Timothy, let no man despise your youth. Make a decision as a youth that you're going to uh, take a stand for God, that you're going to be out and out for God. Could I tell you something else? It's not only a single-minded um, proposal. It was a spiritual proposal. If you look at our text, look, look at it very carefully. I'll have to finish. But Daniel proposed in his heart. Now, now notice that. This is where it was. It was in his heart. 
Remember, he's in Babylon, the land of Shinar, modern-day Iraq, a wicked, ungodly place, a horrible history behind it. He's far from home, far from his family. He, he, could, he could sin and get away with it in Babylon, and his parents wouldn't know. Nobody would know. But amid all the pressure, amid all the authority handed down from the king of Babylon, he made a decision from his heart that he was going to live for God. He refused to eat the meat. Why? Because it was unclean. It was not kosher. It could have been offered to idols. And he was concerned about his testimony. He was concerned about his purity. He was concerned for the influence it would have on his friends. And he was concerned primarily that he was going to be true to God. And I say to you tonight, it's possible to stand for God today in an ungodly world, but you need a single-minded proposal, and you need to have it as a spiritual proposal. Daniel stood the test. It took place in his heart, first and foremost. Remember, the Bible says, my son, give me thine heart. See, this proposal arose out of his heart. The heart was the real seat of his being. He was determined not to go along with these things that the king wanted for him. Why? Because he had a heart for God. I believe his heart was regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Uh, of course, he didn't do it in his own strength or power. It's not something that's natural to man to be able to do. He knows it's easy to be defiled morally and ethically and spiritually. But before he opened his mouth, he had made up his mind in his heart because I believe he was a spiritual-minded young man. I believe he was a spiritual-motivated young man. He was sensitive to God and the things of God. He knew they were trying to condition me with their culture. And Daniel, in the changing times, he didn't change with the times. And young people, if you want to, in the changing times, refuse to change with the times, then it's vital that you have a heart relationship with the Lord. Aren't we told we've got to move on as a church? You're on the wrong side of history. Times have changed. Could, could you imagine this? That it's okay for adultery and, and okay for fornication and okay for homosexuality and okay for drunkenness and okay for, for gambling. And do you know that in certain churches tonight that that kind of thing and that kind of thinking is being taught from the pulpit to the people that these things are okay in moderation. Well, I want to tell you they're not. The Bible hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. And here's Daniel, and he proposes in his heart that he'll not defile himself with the portion of the king's mate. And this was indeed, I believe, a strengthening proposal. Daniel's not going to violate his conscience. Daniel, I believe, is indwelt and possessed by the Holy Spirit. How do I know that? In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 12, if you read it, the Old Testament prophets, the Spirit of Christ which was in them, did testify of his sufferings beforehand and the glory to come. And Daniel was one of those Old Testament prophets. The Holy Spirit is in him. And he's not only born of the Spirit and indwelt, but he's led by the Spirit, and the Spirit of God strengthens him. And this is the proposal that he made. But Daniel proposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Daniel stood to obey his God. 
Poor old Melzar was afraid. Daniel said, give us a test for ten days. We'll eat some vegetables and we'll drink water. And then let's be presented after the ten-day period. And if we look better and fairer and fatter, then take away the king's portion, his wine and his meat. And that's exactly what happened. And Melzar took that away. And for the rest of the three-year period, gave them pulse and water to eat every day. Not only the peril that he faced and the proposal that he made, but you think of the provision that he was granted, or the possession that he was granted. What, what do we read in Daniel? What was the purpose of this? It says in verse 5 that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. You come with me to verse 19. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. Daniel was a statesman. He was involved in handling the affairs of the Babylonian Empire. Daniel became a spokesman, I believe, for God there. And in that very place, although he held a political role, he was really there to fulfill a prophetical role. He's given the highest place in Babylon, standing before the king. You see, the Bible says, young people, them that honor me, I will honor. And if you put the Lord first and do what the Lord wants, and your heart belongs to him, and you're born again of the Spirit, and you're led and controlled by the Holy Spirit, then you'll have the blessing of God upon you. And God will unfold his will and his plan for you. Could I just add this as we finish? Notice there wasn't a big crowd. There was only Daniel and his three friends. Four young men. I wonder how many princes of Judah were there in the widening family circle. None of them's ever mentioned. Daniel, I believe, chose his friends well. Daniel's three friends chose Daniel as their friends. And I say to you young people tonight, you choose your friends well. Choose them wisely. Put, put, put good godly friends first and foremost in the center of your life. Do you know we live in a day when one of the big problems and hindrances is the true faith is silence. It's not a lack of ignorance, it's a lack of language. Not knowing what to say and how to react. Daniel could teach us about talking and learning the things of God relating to Christ. And it was all through this position that he was granted. Because the Bible tells us there very clearly in the book of Daniel something that's absolutely fundamental and something that's wonderful. Look at verse 20 and with this we're finished. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in his realm. Notice this. And Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus. You see, this is really a summary chapter. Here's Daniel. And he's made this appearance in Babylon. He's an authentic real person. And he's accepted he's there in the will of God, that God's in control of time, of events and history. God's in control of his life. God has a plan for his life. And at the center of that plan, Daniel proposed in his heart to make a stand for Christ. 
How can you thrive and survive in an ungodly world? Will you propose in your heart that you're going to stand for the Lord?